Our scripture lesson is very familiar to you by now because we've been studying through the Lord's Prayer. But because uh, we are on the radio, I have to review some each week, and also because there are a large number of people who couldn't get here due to the weather uh, last week. Let me go back to the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6 of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning to read at verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father, will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgression. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this important reading from his word. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee that thou hast given to us a singing faith because thou hast given to us a passionate faith and thou hast given us a right to come boldly unto the throne of grace to ask for your help in time of need. When we realize how utterly dependent we are upon thee and we are, every breath that we breathe is a prolonged miracle, and every moment that we exist is a moment of need. And so we ask you to undergird us with your presence this morning to help us to think thoughts that are worthy of thee and to enable us to enlarge our vision 
and so to step forth in faith in a way that will bring glory and honor to your name. Please accept the gifts which we, which we bring to thee. May they be expressive of the greater love of our hearts, and will you show us how to give more and how to serve better. In Jesus' name, amen. You remember that when our Lord's disciple, that unnamed hero who saw him in some place praying and was so deeply moved that he came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples to pray, that he was simply bringing to our attention uh, what scholars now tell us that they have learned from many manuscripts that have been discovered, that the ancient rabbis had as many as 18 prayers a day that were to be said by the faithful, and that's seven days a week, 18 separate prayers that were to be said. And uh, so we, it was a shocking thing, a passionate thing for them to realize that Jesus said, Abba, Father, uh, for it's a very familiar term, uh, very much like our word for Daddy. The old Hebrew scribe, as I told you last week, when he wrote down the tetragrammaton, the word for getting around the use of the word Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, he would put down that pen and never use it again because he had written the name of God. And we cannot be chummy nor flippant with God, but we must be reverent in our attitude toward God and remember his presence. He told us to pray our Father. And as John indicated in the prayer with John Akers this morning that he prayed, we're not to pray to a force, we're to pray to a father. I was looking at the film Star Wars the other night, and uh, it was thought to be so religious when it came out because Juan Kenobi was having everyone say, the force be with you. Well, we've got a father with us, not a force but a father. And uh, Hollywood would learn a lot if they would read the Bible. Uh, our father is the supreme question because here we learn what God is like, that he is not a force, that he is not a principle, he is personal. And God has a special relationship to us it's heavenly, and it's holy, and it's concerned about our deepest needs. We are a part of the family of God. Others who have been born again by faith in Jesus Christ, to as many as received him, that is Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And so we become a part of the family of God. And the church lost a lot when we got so sophisticated that we quit saying brother or sister. The communists, in their materialistic, atheistic bent to conquer the world, 
have learned how important it is to say comrade, but we have forgotten how important it is to say brother or sister in a loving way and to treat people in that loving way which we should treat them. We do not pray my God, but we pray our Heavenly Father. And when I was thinking of this this morning, I brought, I hope I brought, uh, a copy of C.S. Lewis's little book, Screwtape Letters. I ought to get some money for this because this is an ancient edition, as you can tell. Uh, what Lewis wants us to understand, every now and then I have someone who comes up to me and says, oh my, I, I, I could not believe in a God who would allow anyone to ever go to hell. Well, that really makes a lot of difference, what you believe. Uh, um, it's what God has revealed in Scripture of himself. If you're going to make you a God, then you worship your God. You've got a totem pole religion. You don't have the religion of the Bible. And you don't have the faith that's taught here. And so the writer, uh, the screw tape, uh, this is a letter, uh, a, a set of letters that is sent by a senior devil, Wormwood, uh, to his nephew Screwtape in order to uh, get him to understand ways to trip up uh, Christians or people who are becoming Christians. Now listen to this. The sense of ownership in general is always to be encouraged. The sense of ownership is always to be encouraged. The humans are always putting up claims to ownership which sound equally funny in heaven and in hell. We must keep them doing so. Much of the modern resistance to chastity comes from men's belief that they own their bodies their vast and perilous estates, pulsating with the energy that made the worlds in which they find themselves and without their consent, and from which they are ejected at, their, at the pleasure uh, of another. It is of a royal child whom his father has placed for love's sake in the title of command of some great province under the, the real rule of wise counselors. Uh, should come to fancy that he really owns uh, cities, the forest, the corn, in the same way as he owns the bricks or the nursery floor. We produce this sense of ownership not only by pride but by confusion. We teach them not to notice the different senses of the positive pronoun. Now get this part. This is what I was really aiming at the finely graded differences that run from my boots. I had someone called that needed to get here to church today, and the person said, I'm putting on my boots. Uh, that's okay. Through my dog, my servant, my wife, my father, my master, my country, to my God. They can be taught to reduce all these senses to that of my boots. The my of ownership 
even in the nursery, a child can be taught to mean my teddy bear, not the old-fashioned recipient of affection to whom it stands in a special relationship, for that's what the enemy will teach them to mean if we are not careful, but the bear that I can pull to pieces if I like. Now, that's what I was talking about a while ago. When you don't want the God revealed in the Bible, then you pull him apart. You say, I accept this verse because that suits me just fine, but I don't like this verse. My God wouldn't do something like this. He wouldn't make me just stick to one wife. After all, he didn't know my wife. Uh, that, you see, that's the way some people go at it. Well, we must not do that. At the other end of the scale, we have taught men to say, my God. In a sense, not any different from saying my boots, meaning the God on whom I have a claim for my distinguished services and whom I exploit from the pulpit, the God I have, I, I have done a corner in. Uh, we've cornered him, and this won't work. Uh, so what Jesus says, we are to pray our Father, and we are to seek, first of all, what will honor him. Hallowed be thy name. What's in a name? We just got through saying that. We are servants of the Most High God. We serve him. And we serve him in the relationship of an obedient child to a father. God's name represents his nature and, a and his character. And it is for this reason that we are to hallow his name. That is to keep it holy out of reverence. We are to keep holy the name of God. The idiot use of the name of God on television and as a mark of blasphemy and irreverence on the part of so many people today is one day going to have to be accounted for at the judgment seat of God. For he has plainly told us in the third commandment that he will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. We keep it holy in our speech, and we keep it holy in our deeds, so that as members of his family, we bring honor to that family. And then we pray, thy kingdom, not my kingdom, but thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. That means that I may not choose to do what I want to do. If we did, there would never be any missionaries go to Africa, to Lesotho. Who in the world would want to live in Lesotho? I've been in, in Africa. I've been in Kenya. I've been in all these places. You can have them as far as wanting to live there. You go there out of a love for God. I'll never forget standing one day outside an Anglican bishop's residence in a little town, Kotayam, in South India, in the state of Kerala. And I, I was waiting for, uh, to go to a meeting, and I uh, walked across the uh, way to a little cemetery. And I looked at the cemetery, and I began to read the names of those Anglican missionaries who had come to that place years and years before. And I was appalled at how young they were when they died. 25, 26, 27 years of age. 
the little children that died, the tremendous sacrifices that had been made by those people. The other day, our middle son, who was studying at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, said that Christy Wilson, who went into Afghanistan and whose life was almost taken from him because of his testimony for Christ in that place, wanting to take the gospel in a place where no one else had gone, that Christy Wilson took them out near uh, South Hamilton, uh, not far away from it, to the house in which Adoniram Judson, the famous missionary to Burma, had lived. They're studying missions during this three-week interim uh, term. And he said that Christy Wilson had with him some of the diaries and letters of Judson that were written from Burma. And when he began to go through the hardships that those people had faced, the sicknesses, the death, the privation, he said that his distinguished professor, Dr. Christy Wilson, one of the most brilliant and able people in the Christian world, broke down crying in front of the entire class because he knew something of the sacrifice that had been made by Judson when he went to that place. So, you see, when we pray for the coming of his kingdom, it's his kingly reign that was extended to Burma and that was extended to Afghanistan and which has been extended into Russia and into China at a very great cost. We pray, therefore, that God will help us to complete the purpose of his reign, his reign over my body, which must be under his lordship, over the house that I live in, over everything that I've got, that it must be subject to his control. And then last week we saw thy will be done. <laughs> this has almost become a tombstone cliche. Uh, I've seen this next to rest in peace on more tombstones than just about any other thing. We speak of God's will, thy will be done, as though it were some terrible thing. Uh, we, we need to understand that it's not just a tombstone inscription. The will of God is something that we should delight in. Jesus said, I delight to do thy will. Not my will, but thy will. That's why we don't want to, as C.S. Lewis told us a while ago about playing with God as though he were a teddy bear and our teddy bear to comfort us in our fears and to lull us in our losses and to be with us when we need him and to throw him aside when we don't want him. We're so afraid of being too religious. When we're told by Jesus to pray without ceasing, this is Peter Taylor Forsyth, one of the greatest of all of the theologians who ever lived, in my judgment. We are told to pray without ceasing. It seems to many uh, a taste today to be a somewhat extravagant statement. And no doubt that's true. It is extravagant. 
Why should we be concerned to deny it? Measured language and elegant phrases is not the New Testament method. That's why they were shocked when Jesus prayed in those familiar words, Abba, Father, how he would lift up the loaves and the fishes and pray, how he would pray there in front of Lazarus' tomb. But can we love or trust God too much? Answer that question right now. With God as your witness, answer it. Can we love or trust God too much? You just answer it yourself. If you think you can, you're not a Christian. Christian faith is one that overcomes and commands the world in a passion rather than balances it. It triumphs in a conclusive happiness. It does not play off, play off one part against another. The grace of Christ is not but graciousness of nature, and he does not rule his church by social tact. The peace of God is not the calm of culture. It is not the charm of good breeding. Every great forward movement in the history of the Christian church is associated with much that seems academically extravagant. An Erasmus is always shocked with a Luther. I hope you have read enough history to get the humor in that, because an Erasmus is always shocked, always shocked with a Luther. Look at your bulletin and see Elton Trueblood's little commentary on our passage today, what is meant by daily bread. Martin Luther insisted that, this is in his Catechism for Small Children, Martin Luther insisted that daily bread means everything necessary to the support and comfort of existence, as food, raiment, house, land, money, good, a kind spouse, good children, faithful servants, righteous magistrates, good weather, peace, health, honor, true friends, good neighbors, and the like. Do you see what's there? What, what uh, the passage, give us this day our daily bread, is meant to teach us is our dependence upon God, our utter dependence upon him. It's the exact opposite of what we read in the 12th chapter of Luke. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, uh, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns 
and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I read you 61 words. And out of those 61 words, six times the word I was used. Six times the word my was used. No thought of God. And so the petition regarding daily bread, give us this day our daily bread, means what is necessary to recognize my utter dependence upon God and that what I have I am to share with others. I am to share with others. Our time is gone now. We'll pick it up here next week.